Hello everyone, I'm Bianca Burton and this is Sportify. If you want to become a Sportify fan today, head on over to Instagram, podcast underscore Sportify, all lowercase. And please subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. I hope you enjoy my content. If you're new here, welcome. This is Sportify, podcast of champions. Let's get started. I want to give a shout out to Sean. He has a podcast called Draft Season. This is another fantasy sports podcast. This podcast is really good. I listened to it and it got me into fantasy sports, which I never thought would happen. It's available on all platforms. It is Draft Season, spelt Draft, capital S-Z-N, by SLRP Productions. Go give him a listen. Hello, everyone. Hi, Connor. Hi. Okay, so we're obviously going to talk about the World Series that just happened. Very important. The first win in a long time for the Dodgers in about 30 years. Nelson, the Dodgers actually finally held it in there after going to the World Series for years in a row and losing. That's even worse than not getting to the World Series. It's getting to the championship or, or series and losing. Now, after... The Dodgers won. Justin Turner, who has COVID, ran back on the field to celebrate. Now, you can't do that (laughs) uh, when you have COVID. So people are asking if he'll be suspended. Do you think he should be suspended, Connor? Yes. Uh, I don't... Really? Ooh. Tell me why. If you have COVID, I don't understand why you should do something, not reckless, but do something that uh, doesn't seem very logical to me when you put others at risk for your own stupidity like that you should have a consequence and it's going to be interesting if any other players that were near him get COVID yeah and then of course then we're talking in hindsight a little bit if people were to get COVID then should he get suspended whatnot I think just for his actions he should just something to kind of give him a little bit something else to think about yeah I think when you've waited for a series win for that long. I get it, but I think for a split second, he probably just forgot he had COVID and just ran on the field instinctively. If I were him, I would probably run on the field, but stay very, very far away from people. And I don't know, it was it was a very strange situation. Cause he was the only player. Well, I think he was the only player that had it, but he was the only player that did it. Okay, moving on. In the tennis world, for all you tennis fans out there, two scandals have come to light. Alexander Zverev, one of the top male tennis players of his age, is being accused of domestic abuse by his ex-girlfriend. Now, we've heard of a lot of allegations of domestic abuse in football, basketball, that stuff. You don't really expect it to come from tennis players. (laughs) Not saying it doesn't happen. And I looked into the allegations and it was he threw her against or he slammed her against a wall and he tried to suffocate her with a pillow. I have no proof or evidence if this is true or not, but I don't think she's making it up. I think that's too detailed for her. Like, I've just never heard that. So yeah, he is definitely going to be investigated. Right now with COVID, there's not a lot of tournaments happening and if there are, not everyone is playing. 
but he has been playing recently and he's actually been winning like he used to because there was a little lag of time where he just was not doing that well. Now he's back on top and then this happened. And then on the women's side of tennis, Ashley Kratzer has been banned for four years because of doping. This is not a player I actually had ever heard of before this. And that says something. Why do players of any sport dope? Why do they do it? Aren't allowed for a reason. Essentially because of cheating. And trying to find ways to get an advantage over your opponent. These athletes are competitive. (laughs) You tell me they're going to sit there and say, Okay, well, you know what? That's not allowed. Okay, maybe I shouldn't do that. You have some who do that. And I definitely have respect for those players who look at things from all angles and play the sport in the right way and still be competitive. But you have to remember all of these players, no matter what their sport may be, these athletes are extremely competitive. They want to win and they will, in a clever way sometimes, they will try to figure out ways to get an advantage over their opponent. And sometimes they'll take it a little bit too far. And that's why you see, you will find a lot of investigations into current our current and previous wrongdoings from certain teams. Now you're finding some allegations on guys, individuals from like 20, 30 years ago. And that's just the day and age we're in now. We're going to find you if you do something wrong. Athletes are going to try to find their uh, advantage in any way they can. Yeah, absolutely. And she actually, you would think once she started doping, she would start winning magically but she actually wasn't she won the utsa's final which gave her a wild card to enter the u.s open she's only 21 she's an american and being an american in tennis is actually super competitive considering the people who do play tennis in america it's so competitive it's crazy so imagine that at the professional level and imagine that if that's all you do every day like no school no nothing you know, it's like gymnastics, like figures. If in terms of what kind of sport it is, it's much more individual and much more based on training and skill and coordination. To win, you have to be really good. So I don't know where in her mind she said, you know what, now's the time to dope. <laughs> and maybe because it was because she was going into the US Open, but she ended up losing in the first round. It's like, don't do that. What are you doing? You're not repping America well. She got and lost in the first round, so obviously her doping did not work. And we don't know what she was doping. It doesn't say. I want to find out, though, because I want to know. She The reason they figured it out is because she failed her her drug test. But anyway. You know, you you brought up about how she didn't exactly start winning after she started doing this. You know someone's going to come out with an article at some point in the in the near future saying serves her right because serves tennis so serves her right <laughs> you know someone's gonna come out and write something that might be me <laughs> oh, it's coming out there you go so ashley kratzer you're in a crat load of trouble yep y- yep <laughs> yes it's i mean we're trying to make it fun for y'all exactly even in the tennis world there is drama i hope you all enjoyed listening to that anyway Moving on, final uh, section of sports spot. Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback for Clemson, has COVID. Now, what does this mean for Clemson's season, Connor? 
Well, this could obviously be uh, a huge blow to the Tigers. I mean, you look at Trevor Lawrence, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country, if not the best. And he, along with a loaded Clemson roster, uh, had a great shot at the national championship and still do. But where I want to take this, in the ACC, the conference that Clemson plays in, they have a 10-day protocol for COVID. So if a player tests positive, that day that he tests positive, they have to wait 10 days until they can play again. And right now, 10 days ahead, that is, of course, you have to take this from yesterday when he tested positive. So 10 days from yesterday, that brings us past next Saturday. Now this Saturday, Clemson plays Boston College at home. Boston College has had an inability to run the ball this season. In fact, they're one of the uh, the worst teams in the country at r- rushing the ball. <laughs> but, sorry, Boston College. <laughs> sorry, but, but I will give Boston College credit. They have done a tremendous job this season against the spread. And they have surprised. In fact, if you look across the board of college football, it has been a crazy season. In my opinion, they have been one of the more pleasant surprises. So I'll, I'll bring Boston College a little up from what I just said earlier. They have had a really good season based on what they were projected to do. Many had them projected uh, towards the bottom of the ACC this season. And right now, they're playing towards the upper half. So, yeah, in a 15-team ACC season, when you include Notre Dame, it's not the best, but it's still better than what they were projected to do. But the fact of the matter where I'm getting to this is, Boston College has kept games close, and they have played better than what they were supposed to do this season. So... Without, with Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, they, they throw in another five stars. Clemson, they don't, re, they don't rebuild, they reload. They have talent on top of talent, and it's five star on top of five star. They have a true freshman coming in. He is huge. He's 6'3", 250. This guy can run the ball. Now he's got five stars all over the field, including Travis Etienne at running back. He was one of the best running backs in the recruiting class a few years ago from the state of Louisiana. He is arguably the top running back in the country, if not one of the top three. Clemson, again, they have uh, they have a lot of talents at their disposal, so it's not like without Trevor Lawrence, it's just downhill from here. Clemson still has everything in front of them, and you have to think also their perspective and the ACC perspective. There's not a lot of teams that are going to keep it close against Clemson with or without Trevor Lawrence. For at least this weekend, I don't think they're in trouble against Boston College. Now, I do think Boston College may hang in there for a little while. They've done that against everybody they've played this season. And teams who are consistent at keeping games close find ways. I wouldn't be surprised if this game is close going into halftime, early third quarter, but then Clemson's athletes just take advantage. And what I was going to bring up about Boston College's inability to run the football, they have been one-dimensional this year on offense. And you can't be one-dimensional and beat Clemson. You might be able to hang in there with them. Syracuse has proven that over the last few years. But... I wouldn't be surprised to see BC keep it close for a little while, but I do think Clemson will run away with it. Next week, they play Notre Dame at Notre Dame. We obviously know what Notre Dame is capable of. So if Clemson doesn't have Trevor Lawrence in that game, that will obviously be a very interesting uh, issue and matter to cover. If Clemson were to lose that game, assuming they don't have Trevor Lawrence, Clemson still has playoff hopes. They still have everything in front of them because, because they would likely get Notre Dame in the conference championship get a rematch and beat them and then make the playoff. However, if Notre Dame were to beat Clemson, but then Notre Dame loses to North Carolina at North Carolina late in the season, 
then things get a little bit more interesting because now Clemson's loss doesn't look as good. So that's obviously something that I'm forecasting way out in advance. We'll see what happens. I think North Carolina is very capable of beating Notre Dame. That's assuming Notre Dame beats Clemson next week, which, by the way, again, without Trevor Lawrence, Clemson still has a lot of talent. And without Trevor Lawrence, they can still win a lot of their games. So Clemson is not going downhill. It's just going to be interesting to see how they play without Trevor Lawrence. And I guess that would be the true luck of the Irish if that were to be the case. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Moving on, switching gears here. The NBA draft is coming up. I actually want to talk about the free agency. So everyone, you might want to get ready to sell some jerseys. (laughs) Um, We've got Goran Dragic, Anthony Davis, Carmelo Anthony, Aaron Baines, Hacian Whiteside, Tristan Thompson, Tim Hardaway, and Marcus Morris. And that's just a small list of the free agency. Those are very big names. The question is, are they going to re-sign or are they going to move? For you NBA fans out there, I want you to let me know what you think is going to happen. And if they do re-sign, for how much? I was looking at the starting salaries and such uh, for certain players in certain positions. And we're looking at $38 million for some. Which is a huge amount. Yeah. Considering... Dak Prescott for the Cowboys wanted only $30 million, guys. So. Yeah. yeah, so I'm very interested in where those players are going to go. But yeah, uh, Tim Hardaway is for the Mavs. And I think actually they did pretty well this year because of Luka. But every player helps, in my opinion. I.e. sports in the cold, if you haven't gotten what I'm saying yet. <laughs> so... I'm a huge figure skating fan. That's one of my best things in terms of talking about it. Skate America just happened, which I'm actually surprised because of COVID. They showed it on Peacock, which is NBC's little streaming platform. And they showed it on YouTube. Mariah Bell won the ladies Skate America. That is huge. I know Connor doesn't know anything about this, but it's okay. Because I do. (laughs) So, um... Mariah Bell is one of my favorite figure skaters, and she has got she has come closer and closer each year, but she's always been in the top 10 ladies, or top 15, I would say. Now she's she's finally climbed up to fifth, fourth, third, second, and now first. And not to say important skaters weren't skating. You had Brady Tunnell. She beat Brady Tunnell, which I'm not a huge Brady Tunnell fan, I'm sorry. In terms of the men, we had Nathan Chen, of course, he won again. But I watched his program and I wasn't really that impressed this time. Now, what I mean by not impressed, the guy can do five quads in a routine and add on. So that's not what I'm talking about. But maybe it's because of COVID, maybe it's because he goes to Yale and he's stressed out. (laughs) But he just didn't have that flow that he usually has on the ice. And I felt like he was thinking too much and I felt like he was just kind of going through the motions and maybe it kind of just I don't know it was weird but one thing I want to mention is whoever decided the protocols for skating in terms of COVID and such I want to talk to them because Nathan Chen was skating and there are skaters skating around him 
no, around him, I mean around the rink. But I was very confused. I've never seen that ever. And why were they there? This is not warm-up. This is the actual program I'm talking about. Right. And the score is happening, and this is, like, this is not a run-through. He's actually getting points right now. And yet there's other skaters skating, like, just around the rink? Warming up? I don't get that. What? (laughs) But Vincent Joe actually performed. He did, okay. He falls pretty much every time in his performances. But he's younger than Nathan Chen by a little bit. And he can do the quads, but he still needs to get those basics down. Uh, Gracie Gold. I want to talk about her. I love her. Now, I think she is one of the most underrated skaters ever. Now, if y'all remember, if y'all are skating fans or Olympic fans, she got to the Olympics and won the bronze medal. Then she took a little break because she had some mental health issues, eating disorder, had to go to rehab. Um, She's back now, and she's good. She's a lot older. So, as we've seen her creep in back into the ice again to see her get started it's been a tough journey she obviously doesn't have those that because there was it was such a long time there was such a long gap you could tell that there was something missing so she's taken a lot of time she switched coaches she went to a smaller training facility which i think is good for her mentally because when because i was a dancer and when you're in a big environment like that it can be really mentally intimidating not because the people are quote-unquote better but there's so many of them and you're like wow there's so many people who want the same thing and will do anything to get it that's what's intimidating now if the if the let's see the dancer the skater the gymnast whoever is so talented everyone knows that and they stay away (laughs) because they're like i'm not going to compare myself to that person because they are just so talented, they're out of this world and extraordinary. There's no point in stressing out about that. But in terms of, you know, quantity of people who are trying to make it to the top, but are not uber, uber talented, that's actually a majority of people in those type sports. Uh, and it's just a matter of numbers and endurance and who can sustain injuries and who can stick it out. But yeah. Now, not to say there isn't improvement, there always is, but the whole point is in gymnastics, figure skating, and dance, whoever trains the longest and the most usually gets it done. But the practices are long already. <laughs> so it's it's like, we're not talking a basketball game, a soccer game, a football game, which is two to three hours. We're talking eight hours at least in training. That's how intense it is. And that's why I relate to it so much because it's like, how can you do that every single day for eight hours? Yeah. It's crazy. And the whole point of Skate America and the PNG championships and all those things is to see who gets to worlds or to nationals. I'm kind of combining gymnastics and figure skating terms, but who can sustain the Grand Prix, all these things, to get to the final team selection to, i.e., go to the Olympics. It's a whole process. You can be first on the podium, then fall to seventh in maybe the next program, and then you're out. So it's really based on program and based on your previous scores. 
that was a rant wow but anyway anyway gracie gold came back did her program did very well i am proud of her she uh i think she ended fifth or maybe fourth she's ended fifth and sixth a lot in her comeback but i am just happy to see her doing improving and doing so well now i think mariah bell definitely deserved first place but you can tell that gracie gold is hanging in there she's gonna come back i guarantee you you heard it right here karen chen nathan chen's sister imagine that having two amazing skaters for children imagine how expensive (laughs) and how much time you spend dropping them off to skating both of your kids crazy uh he's a little i think he's a little bit older than her but still she's not as good as her brother but she's still good she's she's nice to watch i like her more than i like brady tonell but she she doesn't really have the emotion that skating looks for so yeah karen if you're listening (laughs) i don't think she is but uh work on that (laughs) um okay so that was our little frostbite segment moving on we have a new segment that we're gonna do each week player of the week and game of the week now i'm gonna do nfl and college football and Connor is just going to do college. So, for NFL, my game of the week was the Seahawks and the Cardinals. Reason why? Seahawks are up the entire game, pretty much. Then the third quarter, things start to change. Now, let me remind you, the Cardinals beat the Cowboys. Now, I know all of you who are not Cowboys fans are like, that's expected. But wait, hear me out. (laughs) Game-winning field goal. And it's over in overtime. That's crazy. To beat Russell Wilson alone, Kyler Murray must have had a huge celebration there. I'm just impressed with the Cardinals' turnaround, quite frankly, because the Cardinals are never, I mean, the last time I remember them being good was you know, Kurt Warner. <laughs> and that's the a long time. Seattle this year, and I know they were undefeated before the loss to Arizona, but they, they won their fair share of close games. <laughs> It's not like they were a dominant Absolutely. team, of course. In the NFL, it's going to be hard to be dominant. They're all professional football players, so you're going to have your fair share of close games. But Seattle, I mean, they were undefeated. You give them credit. They were finding ways to win. They're obviously one of the better teams in the league. But at the same time, it's not like when, when, you, when a team is on and they're on a winning streak like the 49ers were at the end of last season, heading into the playoff, you could tell that they were – physical along the offensive defensive lines it was hard to match their physicality they got something figured out or KC late in the season last year they got something figured out on offense and it was hard to stop them teams like that you know that they're on a winning streak because okay they actually got something figured out and they're actually like legit more than just finding ways to win close games and you still give teams credit for that but it's just a matter of time before playing down to your opponent's level catches up to you and it finally did for Seattle Like, let's talk about the first game, Cowboys and Falcons. That was a roller coaster. And I will bring it up each time because that just shows never settle for the score on the board. It just shows anything can happen in sports. But yeah, so that's my game of the week for that. And my player of the week is actually on neither of those teams. (laughs) It's actually for the LA Rams. And I hate to say it because I don't like the Rams. But their kicker is doing extraordinary right now. It's just doing really, he's doing really well. And this last game, it was very crucial. And 
he's been on a lot of teams, but I think he's finally found a sweet spot. So that's my player of the week for that. Into college, my uh, game of the week was Wisconsin and Illinois last week. Now, it was kind of a, it was a blowout. I'm not going to say kind of, but that's what made it great. <laughs> um, my player of the week for college is Jake Ferguson for the Badgers, for the Wisconsin Badgers. He made some catches that was just extraordinary. And I think he made three in that game. One more. So, Connor, who are your teams? Who well, your game of the week? of the week was Penn State and Indiana for last week. Uh, that game went into overtime. Now, going into this game, I had previewed Indiana, and I had previewed them the first, the, these last few years. And they're always a team that is third tier, not quite like a second tier team, like second tier team like a Penn State or a first tier like on like an Ohio State, but they're third tier, and so they're not on the bottom. But they're always, you know, they're, they're beating the teams they should. And then they always get close to pulling off those one or two upsets per year. And essentially, Indiana's that team that you don't want to sleep on because they're going to be right there with you. They just may not have what it takes to, to pull it off. And they finally pulled it off. However, there was a call at the end of the game. It was for a two-point conversion in overtime. Indiana elected to go for two instead of tying Penn State with the extra point and going into the second overtime. Hoosiers give them credit. Uh, give their head coach, Tom Allen, a lot of credit. They went for two. They went for the win. Allen was like, you know what? I'm tired of being just right there. I want to win one of these games. And they finally did. But there was a questionable call. Um, and it was a very controversial call. It was whether or not the quarterback actually crossed the goal line. The quarterback scrambled. He, he was looking to pass. Nobody was open. He scrambled to the near side of the field. And he stretched the ball over. However, one could argue that the ball touched out of bounds first before it crossed the goal line. It was a bang-bang play, close call, but give Indiana credit. Uh, you could actually argue, one could argue that Penn State dominated the game but found ways to lose. Early in the first half, Penn State had some turnovers. Indiana, give them credit. They turned those points, uh, those turnovers into points. They got 17 out of them, but Indiana was outgained late in the fourth quarter Penn State had uh, more than double them in total yardage, but some Penn State miscues cost them that game. But again, you give Indiana credit for what the, the, the turnovers they forced and the mayhem they caused for the Nittany Lions. And for Penn State, uh, you could one could argue that they were also maybe looking ahead to Ohio State this weekend. But the fact of the matter is, Indiana is an up-and-coming team. They were top 15 in the country in returning production coming into this year. So this is a team that I would definitely keep an eye on. I'm not saying they're winning the Big Ten East, but this is a team that, again, maybe not third tier this year, but maybe second tier. And I I would always question when you have a team like an Indiana to put them up in the Ohio State, and I'm not, and I never will, at least for the foreseeable future. Point being, Indiana is an up-and-coming team that you need to keep an eye on for sure, and Penn State season is not done. Indiana is a legit team, and I wouldn't be surprised if Indiana beats Michigan in the up, uh, in a couple weeks. So, Hoosiers, up-and-coming team, and Penn State, not, no, nothing to worry about, but Nittany Lions definitely need to get some things uh, cleaned up because they got Ohio State tomorrow at home, but it's not going to be a wideout this year because of COVID and the capacity limits. But that was my game of the week. It was an incredible game. It was a, a nail-biter really the whole way through. 
and uh, you really can't get much better than a Big Ten showdown like that. Here comes true freshman TJ Finley, a four-star last year's recruiting class. Big guy, big guy, and he, he is definitely, for a true freshman, I was extremely impressed. 17 of 21, that's an 80% completion percentage. He threw two touchdowns. He had an interception. It was a it was a misread and a, a little bit of a mistiming play with the receiver, uh, but it was, a, it was a long pass, but he, he was basically mistake-free on the night. He also had a few carries. He had a rushing touchdown. It was a sneak, but he's a big guy. He's not afraid to run the ball. And what he does for this LSU offense, and we'll see if Miles Brennan or TJ Finley starts this weekend or tomorrow on the Plains against Auburn. But what he does for LSU's offense is he gives them another element in the running game. And so because of that, LSU is able to get more than 200 yards rushing against a stingy South Carolina defensive front. So this is definitely a momentum now for LSU on the offensive side of things, unlike what we were thinking about going into that game. So what TJ Finley can do for this offense is uh, another uh, great piece for what could be another tremendous LSU offense this season. And LSU goes three deep at the quarterback position. So quarterback is definitely not a worry for LSU despite losing uh, their Heisman and Joe Burrow from last year. But TJ Finley, 17 of 21 again for 265 yards, two touchdowns with an INT, but he had a great game. And the most important thing that I saw out of this guy was for a true freshman, his first start, he was well, he was well poised. He stood in the pocket and he was looking at all of his receivers. When the first guy wasn't there, he was looking at option B. Sometimes he would even throw it to his check down in the passing game. So he is a quarterback that despite being a true freshman, I have a lot of confidence in. And again, this is a young Tiger team that will continue to get better. So my player of the week and my team of the week for LSU because they responded to a lot of adversity. Good. I am so glad that worked out for you because <laughs> I know you're a I big, big LSU, LSU fan. fan. Yes, you're right. Um, but I'm an honest LSU fan. So I will you, say that too. True. Um, so you wanted to talk about the upcoming college football schedule with important games happening this week. Yeah, and fortunately... You might remember the season definitely started out uh, very, very unusual for college football because of the pandemic. You had a lot of upsets, a lot of close games because there wasn't that much parity within the teams. But these last couple of weeks have started to look a little bit more normal. This season is definitely going to be crazy throughout, but it will start to look more normal as more repetition gets through with a lot of these teams. But there are still tons of great games and upset watches to look for this season. And I wouldn't say they're necessarily uh, a huge upset if any of these were to take place, but lots of great games to look forward to. Uh, you know, one could argue with with Trevor Lawrence not being available for Clemson. That could be a close game. But now we're talking about it because of someone not being there. So I'm not going to count that because everyone's going to be pointing their fingers at that now. So I'll, I'll look elsewhere. What about Memphis and Cincinnati? Cincinnati's coming off a great performance. Had it not been for LSU's performance, I would have given uh, my blue ribbon for best performance of the week last week to the Bearcats. They shut down a very explosive SMU offense. They held them to under 300 yards and only to, and to only 13 points at SMU. Again, what do road games matter for this year? I don't know, but it was still a very impressive performance. A stingy Cincinnati defense and coming off an emotional victory like that, they get Memphis. This is a high-flying Memphis office, offense. You might remember last year, Memphis represented the American Athletic Conference. 
Uh, they finished first, and they represented the Group of Five in in the uh, in the New Year's Six. So this was the top Group of Five team in the country last year that returned a lot. This is uh, no sleeper team. Cincinnati cannot overlook Memphis. Wouldn't be surprised if this game is close, but I'll go with the Bearcats because of their defense. It is elite, especially when you consider it's a Group of Five defense. And Cincinnati, you could argue, has a top five defense in the country, including Power Five teams. So that's saying a lot. And then how about in a rivalry game? Although this year may not have the same meaning, Michigan State and Michigan. And, and you know Michigan State's going to give it their all coming off the loss to Rutgers. They're going to really want to respond to that adversity that they've been likely facing this week. And then Michigan coming off a very impressive performance against Minnesota at, in Minneapolis last week. So it's a rivalry game. However, with Michigan State looking like they're in a big rebuilding year this year. They were 116th in returning production. That's out of 130 teams. But the Wolverines were also down there. They were 124th in that category. So you got two teams in transition years in the Michigan schools. But I like the Wolverines at home. But even games like K-State and West Virginia. You have a ranked team in K-State, K number 16, playing on the road in Morgantown. So you're thinking, okay, it's a road game for, for K-State. It may be close but K-State should win. Well, West Virginia, believe it or not, is actually favored by a few points. And I wouldn't be surprised to see West Virginia pull off uh, maybe what is a, an upset in terms of public opinion. But in terms of the line, the, the Mountaineers are favored. And I wouldn't be surprised to see this game go into overtime, quite frankly. Uh, I think it's going to be a tight game the whole way through. Uh, I think it could be like a 20-17 to 17 kind of game. So another close one. And then what about even UTSA and Florida Atlantic? Uh, UTSA is coming off a big win last weekend against Louisiana Tech at home. Louisiana, uh, UTSA made a great comeback to find to pull that off. And then FAU, they were in a rebuilding year this year, a new head coach, a lot to replace from last year's 11-win team. And they're coming off a tough-fought tough fought loss to Marshall, likely Conference USA's top team right now. So you wonder how FAU is going to respond, whether they're overlooking UTSA. It's, it's an early game. You know UTSA is riding high with confidence. I wouldn't be surprised to see UTSA pull that off, even in Boca Raton. Um, you got Purdue and Illinois, two Big Ten West teams that are very, very uh, similar in terms of what I think their record may be this year, but two much different teams in how they attack on the offensive side. You got Purdue with an air, an air raid offense, and Illinois likes to try to turn out the ground game. So this is going to be interesting. Purdue's coming off a big win uh, against Iowa, while Illinois is coming off, like you mentioned earlier, a big loss against Wisconsin. So that's going to be interesting to see how those two teams respond in their respective manners. UCF and Houston, another great American Athletic Conference game, which should be high scoring, just like the UCF Memphis game a couple weeks ago. This game should come down to the wire. I'll go with the Knights to pull this off. I think Houston will give them all they can handle. I think Houston is one of the most underrated teams in the country, especially considering they only had four wins last season. I think people just kind of overlooked them. But this was a team that was top five in the country in returning production, and they brought back one of the most explosive receiver tandems in the country. So this is a Houston team that can put up points. And what we've seen with UCF this year, they put up points obviously too but they also give up their fair share of points. So I wouldn't be surprised to see this as a basketball score. So how about a little bit of early college basketball this year, right? Um, elsewhere, what about TCU Baylor? So now let's let's turn the tables. Now we've got a great, we've got a game that should be all defense. You got two teams who know how to play defense. 
with Dave Aranda for the head coach for Baylor, defensive mind, and then Gary Patterson, the head coach for TCU, another tremendous defensive mind. And both of these offenses right now are struggling to run the ball and they're struggling to move the ball. So this game is likely to be a, I'm not going to say it's going to be as lower scoring as it was last season heading into overtime. It went into triple overtime last year and they ended up scoring points in overtime like all college football teams do when they get to that time. But TCU and Baylor, you are likely to see this game. Whoever finishes with 20 points in this game, if they get the 20, will win. It's going to be a low-scoring dogfight for the Big 12 this uh, for that for uh, for that game for this week. And then on the plains, we got the two Tigers going at it, LSU and Auburn. You wonder how these two teams are going to respond for their seasons. Both teams, you could argue, were a little bit in transition years considering what they lost from their 2019 teams. But it's going to be interesting to see how LSU plays, especially if Miles Brennan is not available. Also, Auburn, they just lost one of their best offensive linemen for, for the rest of the year. And the Auburn defense has a lot of growing up and maturity to do if they want to stop this explosive LSU offense. So how will these two Tigers respond to what's been a little bit of down years for them? It's going to be interesting. And whatever team wins this game, this will really help their momentum as they head into November. So that's going to be interesting to see. And then, and then Northwestern and Iowa, another great Big Ten West showdown. Honestly, I'm going to go with the upset here. I'm going to pick Northwestern. I had Northwestern as one of my surprise surprise teams for this season, and I think they're going to live up to that billing. You might have seen them beat Maryland 41-3 last weekend. They shut down uh, to his younger brother. He threw three interceptions in that game. I think this Northwestern team, who was first, first in the country in returning production, is going to surprise a lot of people this year. Wouldn't surprise me to see them finish 5-3, and three, maybe even 6-2, and two, or possibly better, given Wisconsin and their the current uh, 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 state of their football program based on their COVID cases. So Northwestern's a team to keep an eye on. And then another game that I want to bring up, what about Texas and Oklahoma State? This game should be another Big 12 game, another close Big 12 matchup. Oklahoma State, you might think at home, number six overall in the country, UT, unranked. You might see this as a potential blowout. However, I would not I would not be surprised to see the Longhorns go into Stillwater and pull this upset off. That's actually what I have them doing. Texas is a team that's very, very talented. And you could argue that they are they have the blue ribbon for doing the least with the most. So this is a team that with a lot of talent that when they find when they figure things out, they are a team you don't want to mess with. Just ask LSU from last year. Texas arguably gave LSU their toughest game last year. So this is a Texas team that when they find something that works, they're going to be on. It's going to be hard to beat them. I'm not saying that they're going to automatically just flip a switch on and off or off and on and they're going to start playing great. But this is an Oklahoma State team that I don't think is as good as their ranking is. Still a very good Oklahoma State team. But even if Oklahoma State were to win this game, I don't think it's going to be a blowout like a lot of people think. And then what about uh, Boise State and Air Force? Air Force, they're in a rebuilding year this year, so I don't think this game will be close. But Boise State is obviously a team that you need to keep an eye on because it's Boise State. And because of the Mountain West being shortened, Boise State is likely to do even better this year because of the lack of parity between them and the rest of the Mountain West. So Boise State is a team to obviously keep an eye on for the top group of five teams in the country this year. But because of their shortened schedule, they may not get the benefit of the doubt in terms of their strength of record and strength of schedule when it's all said and done in a month and a half from now. You're likely to see someone from the American Athletic. How about Cincinnati, right with the way they're playing? In fact, if you look at Bill Connolly's S&P Plus, 
uh, uh, Cincinnati's playing at a top five level right now. Top five. So that's with Alabama and Clemson. Now, obviously, those are statistics that we would uh, unlikely to believe, especially if they were to go head 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 to head with those teams uh, like Alabama and Clemson, Ohio State, and whatnot. But Cincinnati's obviously, I think, the best team in the group of five this year. But that, that's a, a conversation for another episode. I want to say that, especially for later when we get closer to bowl season. And then how about the big one on ABC, Kirk Herbstreet? And uh, Chris Fowler will be calling this game. But Ohio State and Penn State, uh, it would be a wideout, but COVID had other plans. But will Penn State have other plans than what they had last week for Indiana? You really have to wonder if Penn State was uh, looking ahead to this game against the Buckeyes. Now, obviously, I it, it would be a tall task for the Nittany Lions to pull this off, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them keep it close. I think after coming off their loss to Indiana and Ohio State being Ohio State with Justin Fields and all their talent around them, I think uh, I think a lot of people are assuming this is a blowout. I don't think it will be. I don't know if Penn State has what it takes to pull this off, especially seeing them lose to Indiana last week, but I definitely think it'll be closer than what many are thinking. Uh, there's tons of great games to look forward to, but those are my top games for the weekend. Okay, so what I wanted to ask you was, uh, for those who don't know, what is the quote-unquote blue ribbon in college football? I, I use that term to say, for example, if I had 10 teams and they were all elite in a certain statistic, let's say that they were all tops in the country and tackles for loss and havoc plays made on defense. And I say, I'm going to give the blue ribbon to this team. Essentially, it's going to be my first place team for that given statistic. And they may not be first in the country in that certain statistic, but maybe they're first in my opinion. So essentially, I'm giving them the first place vote for, for me. I'm giving them that blue ribbon, essentially. I'm giving them that award. Okay, good. And um, like I said last episode, Connor and I do go to UNT, and up-and-coming basketball season is about to come out. So please, if you go to UNT, start getting ready, clear your schedule, grab your tickets, and let's do this thing. Once season actually starts, we will, of course, talk about the basketball season. But, um, and obviously, that's when football season is pretty much done. So that worked out. But yes. Okay, moving on to the injury report. Now, Connor, for college football, who are the big names that are out this week? Well, obviously, we have Trevor Lawrence out for Clemson. He's got COVID. Uh, but elsewhere in the country, we have Jalen Waddle uh, got hurt for Alabama last week. He got hurt on the opening play, opening kickoff against Tennessee. He is out for the season, so that's a huge blow to what is uh, the best offense, I think, in college football this year uh, for Alabama. So that's going to be a huge blow to the Crimson Tide this season. Um, elsewhere, Coastal Carolina starting quarterback missed last week. However, he should be able, he should be good to go this week. So that's good for him. Uh, Auburn's going to be without their best offensive lineman for the uh, rest of the season. So that's going to be tough on Auburn to have to replace Brandon Council at guard. So that's going to be tough for the Tigers. Uh, they obviously have the LSU Tigers to face this weekend on the plane. So that should be a great game. Um, but there's not a lot of big injuries, fortunately, in college football. There's obviously going to be a lot of them, a lot of injuries overall, but uh, not a lot of big injuries 
uh, to mention besides Jalen Waddle and then, of course, Trevor Lawrence being out because of COVID. Uh, but not a lot of big, big names out uh, for, for the, at least for this week for college football. Good. And um, that's good to hear, but <laughs> we are not so lucky in terms of the NFL. Now, I'm going to go through real quick all of the NFL teams just because it's COVID and the season is very weird. And I just want to illustrate to our listeners how many people are actually injured in the NFL right now. I'm not going to say everyone's name. I'm just going to say the numbers and the uh, standout names. So New York Giants, and this is in no particular order. New York Giants have six players that are questionable. That's a lot already. Now, as we know, Saquon Barkley was out before at ACL. He is having surgery, so let's see how that goes. He's very important and a key player in their team. And I'm not a Giants fan, and I'm, I'm saying that. So, <laughs> uh, let's see. The New York Jets have seven players questionable and three out. The Eagles have seven out. <laughs> the Saints have three out, including Michael Thomas. The Steelers have two questionable, three out. The 49ers have two out, five questionable. Seattle Seahawks have seven out and seven questionable, including Jamal Adams. The Buccaneers have seven out and four questionable. And this is all within the month of October. (laughs) Um, The Titans have two out, two questionable. Washington, three out. Green Bay, seven questionable, two out. Texans, two out, two questionable. Colts, two questionable. Jaguars, four questionable and four out, including their quarterback, Gardner Minshew. The Raiders have two questionable. The Rams have one questionable. The Dolphins have seven out and seven questionable. Chiefs only have two out. The Vikings have three out and two questionable including um, Dalvin Cook, one of their key players. The Patriots have three out, including Julian Edelman. And get ready for this. This is the most in the league. 11 questionable. (laughs) Dang. This is not including COVID, guys. This is actual injuries. So The Cowboys, now we've been on the list higher with all of our uh, offensive line and defensive line in terms of injuries, but now all we have is Andy Dalton, and I'll get to that once I talk to uh, talk about the co- the Cowboys, but he is the only one questionable as of right now. For the Falcons, Calvin Ridley is questionable, and Kendall Sheffield is questionable, and then they have five other players that are out. Baltimore Ravens have three players that are questionable, including Mark Ingram II. The Buffalo Bills, just based on October 30th, they have two out and seven questionable. Imagine getting, imagine being the head coach and getting the call that day that all these people are out. Crazy. Panthers, five out, including Dante Johnson, who is questionable. The Bengals, five out, two questionable. The Browns, four out. The Bears, one out, five questionable, including their power player, Collie Mack. Broncos, three out, six questionable, including Philip Lindsay. The Lions, two out, and four questionable. So that is our injury report right there. Now, 
I'm not a mathematician, but y'all can go and add those numbers up and little show you how many NFL players are out this season. So yeah, moving on to the trade tracker segment. So we're going to talk about the trade tracker for the NFL. The deadline is election day, November 3rd. Basically, all of these trades need to get done before then. So Fitzpatrick or Fitzmagic, however you view him, he was fired from the Dolphins. Tua is now their starter. And the question is, where's Fitz going to go? Some people say sign him to the Cowboys. I heavily disagree with that. That is another conversation. So he is just out and about right now, waiting for a team to ask him to be signed. Des Bryant was signed to the Ravens. I'm going to get to that. (laughs) But he's only on the practice squad. But still, he hasn't had a deal in like three to four years. And the Ravens were finally like, hmm, come play with us. Very, very interesting. Now, the reason why we let go of Dez after all that time was he wasn't performing. He wanted $70 million and he wasn't making catches. I'm sorry, that's not how it works. Doesn't matter how long you've been on the team. Moving on. The Jets, Willis to the 49ers. Now, most of these, tra- these trades are not finalized yet, but they are rumored most likely are going to happen. The Ravens, uh, they just traded for a defensive end. The Cardinals uh, are going to reacquire one of their old players, uh, their offensive linebacker. And the Falcons, people are wondering, are you going to trade Matt Ryan or Julio Jones? They said no. (laughs) Which is funny, because like, why would they? But it's just funny that they would even ask that. I don't know. Um, let's see. We, the Dallas Cowboys, traded Griffin to the Lions for a draft pick. The Bengals got some, or sent a defensive end to the Seahawks. And John Ross, who plays for the Bengals, he is their wide receiver and he hasn't been playing. They have not been putting him in. We don't really know why. But he finally released a statement that said, If I don't play, I'm out. Now, that is a pretty ballsy statement right there. So yeah, that is our trade tracker for this week. And I will update once those trades are finalized. Moving on to our segment, Cowboys Roundup. As we all know, I am a heavy, heavy Cowboys fan. So I just have a few topics I want to talk about in terms of that. Now, Jerry Jones went on The Fan, which is a radio show, and told the told the radio host to shut up. That was fun. That was fun to listen to. He John they Gorks. were asking him a yeah, he said I'll quote him. They were asking him about management changes, and he goes, Well, shut up and let me answer. Ouch. <laughs> Obviously, Jerry is not happy. And you can, like, I've never... He apologized later, thankfully. But it was very interesting because you, as a Cowboys fan, we've never really seen Jerry get visibly upset like that in a long time. Even when we're doing poorly. In when in the Jason Gary years. he I've never heard him say that. But he apologized. 
but uh, he did say there will be a management change. Not um, our head coach, though. Not Mike McCarthy. He is fully behind him, and I agree with that. Um, he said he is what they need right now, and I agree with that. Um, but inside the management, there will be some movement. And I also want to point out his son, Stephen Jones, said this This was the oddest quote I've heard. So we had just lost to the Cardinals. We only scored three points. Our kicker scored the most points that day. Now, <laughs> after that, Stephen Jones said, we're moving in the right direction. I don't even have a joke for yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't either. Um, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> you just lost with a three on the scoreboard. Also, Mike McCarthy, uh, who is the head coach for the Cowboys, for those of you who haven't heard, <laughs> um, he said, let's stop sugarcoating it. We're not even doing the basics anymore. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's right. Now, for those of you who don't know, Stephen Jones is Jerry Jones's son, and he is the general manager. Um, and it's funny, because I'm like, you're not even on the field, but okay. Moving in the right direction. <laughs> That's the quote of the week. Like I said, Dez got signed. We weren't going to re-sign him. That's just, that was not in the equation. But it's just interesting to see. Um, Okay, we all witnessed Andy Dalton's injury. I was not expecting that to happen, actually. I thought, we're with Dalton the rest of the season. Whatever outlook that would be. But I was really not expecting him to get a concussion. Now... Some people are scrutinizing Cowboys players for not going after the player who hit Andy Dalton. It was an illegal hit. It was targeting. And he was ejected from the game afterward. It was very dirty. It looked like it really hurt. And he fell to the ground and couldn't get up for about two, three minutes. And, well, people didn't really care that the Cowboys players didn't come to help Andy Dalton. They told the trainers to come over, but they didn't, like, go over like they did with Dak. Um... Not the same relationship, but they should. They I've heard people saying even on ESPN that they should have, you know, throw some hands at the other players who hit him. And I was like, well, that's not. They're like, yeah, we don't condone violence, but they they should have shown that. And I was like, no, no, no. We we don't have time for our pride to get in the way right now. We suck as it is. So imagine getting unsportsmanlike conduct penalties after that. No, we can't do that. Yes, I understand it, but it's not a smart decision to make, and that's why we didn't do anything. Now, we fired two players last week, which I'm actually surprised I've never seen Jerry Jones fire so many people in a day. (laughs) Uh, We fired Poe and Morley. Now, Poe we fired because he was overweight and he wasn't performing. Uh, that's what Jerry Jones said. I, I don't... I really haven't been paying attention to the defensive line, honestly. But I can tell you it's not good, so... Alright. <laughs> um, now, once Dalton got injured, we went to our backup, backup, backup quarterback, then Danucci. Now, Danucci... This is his first game. 
very exciting for him. And then the backup quarterback behind him is a local, and maybe he'll get to play. I don't know. But, yeah, Danucci, for his first game, and I think everyone was kind of like, what? Dalton's injured? And they didn't really know what to do with that, even Danucci, because we didn't, the score did not change at all. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, Dak said about Danucci that he's seen him play in practice, and he could go out there and do him. And from coming from Dak, that's that's pretty high praise. So yeah, that's gonna be interesting to see how the season goes. And we are re there's a rumor that we are reacquiring our backup quarterback Cooper Rush. We got rid of him for some reason, I think last year. Now we need him back, obviously. We are running through quarterbacks so much. <laughs> I've never seen this, ever, really. But yeah, that is it. If, uh, oh, wait, no, it's not. Elliot, Ezekiel Elliot, after the game, when Dalton got injured, after the poor scoring, he went into the locker room and made a very emotional speech to the players and took the blame. Even though it's not really his fault. We've had, he's fumbled. But I can think of a lot of other issues other than Ezekiel Elliott. But his fumbles are not helping. So he's taken responsibility for that. And that's a very, you know, ballsy thing yeah. to do. And, but yeah, he said, we got to be better. We got to, we're letting too many things go and all that, those things. He said, we have to win this week. We play the Eagles this week. He said, if we win, we, go, we get first place. There's no excuse this game, no matter how many guys were down. And I agree with him. So yeah, that is it for Cowboys Roundup. Moving on to the final segment, our NFL rankings. Now, last week in the NFL was, was pretty standard, nothing really new, honestly. But we're going to check anyway. So, the Bills are in first place of the AFC East. The Jets are the last place of the ASVs. I'm just going to do first and last place. The Jets are 0-7. And, and there's no sign of hope for them right now. No. <laughs> and their quarterback, Sam Darnold, uh, has a shoulder injury. He's not out, but he has a shoulder injury. So. AFC North. Pittsburgh Steelers are in first place, 6-0. They are the only team left that is undefeated. Yep. Good man. For a second there, uh, I thought Tennessee was going to find a way to pull that out because they had all the momentum late in the game last Sunday, but give Pittsburgh credit, they found a way. Well, Big Ben, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, last place of the AFC North is Cincinnati Bengals, only 1-5. They are having trouble. They've always had trouble, but they're having trouble. All right, AFC South, Tennessee Titans, 5-1. Um, and one. Jacksonville Jaguars, 1-6 for the last place. AFC West, Kansas City Chiefs, 6-1. Denver Broncos, 2-4. NFC East, I don't even want to talk about it. (laughs) The Eagles, 2-4. The Giants, 1-6. The Cowboys are tied with Washington for 2-5, by the way. NFC North... Green Bay Packers, 5-1. Minnesota Vikings, 1-5. 
I'm still shocked by that. <laughs> NFC South, Tampa Bay Buccaneers 5-2. and two. The Atlanta Falcons 2-6. and six. But they did win last week. Or this week. Um, they did pull out a win, so woo, two wins. Hey, I want to ask you a Hold quick out. question and throw this in there. Do you think, because my answer is no, I don't think this would happen. Do you think Clemson, if they played the New York Jets with Trevor Lawrence, obviously, do you think they would beat the Jets? You do? Yeah. <laughs> okay, of I don't course. think they, I don't I don't think Clemson <laughs> would beat the Jets, but okay. No. Really? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I mean the Jets last year, Jets would have won. But the Jets this year, no. Clemson all the way. But yeah. Um and then finally, the NFC West, the Seattle Seahawks, 5-1. and one. Their only loss was that overtime game that was my game of the week against Cardinals. And the 49ers are 4-3. and three. That is our NFL standings for this week. That is all I have for you this week. Thank you so much to Connor for, you know, doing this every week. And thanks for, again, this was obviously but, very uh, fun. Yeah, and also I wanted to give uh, our audience a little update I am in the process of making a website for the podcast right now, and we're going to add the addition of the blog. Now, it's not going to be anything professional by any means because we can't do that or we will be sued. So we have to make very general statements, but just once it's up, I will let y'all know, and I will put it in the bio of my Instagram so you can go find it. And thank you for listening to the last episode. and. We are trying our best here with this pandemic and all that, but I think we're actually doing a pretty good job. But yeah, so in the world of sports, everything's crazy, but there's always stuff to talk about, that's for sure. So yeah, thank you for listening. We will see you next week. And just like that, we are coming to the end of our first episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Connor Hibbett, for becoming my co-host and doing such a great job. I'm Bianca Burton, and remember, this is Sportify, the podcast for all sports enthusiasts.